going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Yes, Capital, thank you so much for the intro. It is another edition of Going Deep, a hip-hop edition. Every edition, quite frankly, is a hip-hop edition because I love the art form, I love the culture, and the show starts with hip-hop. But this show is about the intersection of sports and culture and music and fashion. And when it comes to hip-hop culture, Canada has talent and it influences the world of sports. That's what we're talking about on this edition of Going Deep. It would be tougher to find two Canadians who embody that in a bigger way than our next two guests. To end the show, we're going to talk to Phil Wizard, breakdancer, b-boy extraordinaire, coming to you from Vancouver. But we're going to start the show with Celebrity Face, the artist, the producer, the executive, Cardinal Official. He's been a staple, obviously, not just in our country, but internationally on the scene for almost two decades. Massive hit records with the likes of Akon and Lady Gaga. The single Dangerous destroyed the Billboard Hot 100 charts, peaked in the top five, making him the first rapper from Canada to ever do so. This was before Drake. Cardinal was one of the many who put Canadian hip-hop on the map. But since he's continued to collaborate and big up other Canadians, whether it was Drake, whether it was Daniel Caesar, whether it was the producer Boy Wonder, whether it was Glenn Lewis, to name a few, a mentor to many, a superstar to even more. As I mentioned, now he's not put away the microphone because you can still find him jumping up, whether it's on road or on stage, but he's an executive. He's scouring the globe, finding talent. He is now the global A&R for Def Jam. He's also a judge for Canada's Got Talent right here at Rogers Sports and Media. But more times people associate him with the Toronto Raptors than anything else that he's doing. And so that's the genesis of the conversation, how Cardinal Fischel and his music has touched so many without him touching a basketball since he was grade nine. Let's go deep and listen and learn to the influence of hip hop culture in sports with Cardinal Fischel. All right, it's Cardinal Fischel here sitting with my homeboy Donovan. Take 462. (laughs) First and foremost, Congratulations, Mr. Vice President. No, 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 no. We had to get rid of that title. That sounded wrong. We didn't get rid of that title. We uh, transitioned. Yes, I was. Um, what was my title? I think it was the S, the SVP. Um, it's been a while, so I don't remember. I'm now, I'm now the um, global A&R over at Def Jam. So... It's a little bit. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different, and I'm not a big 
title person for title's sake, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't want to get too deep, but um, in my line of business, titles are important in terms of navigating internally, but as long as I'm doing the work and I'm passionate about it, you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, that's where the, the bulk of interest is for me, you know, like, especially where I'm at in my life right now, just making sure I'm passionate about it, so... If the title was <laughs> executive janitor, as long as that's something that I loved, I'd, I'd be down. So, yeah. What is the importance of being able to use the game in a way and not let it use you where you're not just providing on stage, but you get to provide in the boardroom, in the C-suites? Why is that transition and that representation important? Well, I had, to, I had to learn a lot of the things, no pun intended, I had to learn on the job. So <clears throat> when you are coming from the, like, strictly the artist community or the creative community and you make your way, what I call, behind, you know, to behind the Iron Curtain, there are a lot of things. You find out the importance of a lot of things, but you also find out, I think, how people place value and worth and importance on who you are and what you can offer. Um, the funny, the funny thing or the interesting thing, and I think it's very interesting for a lot of creatives or people that are involved on the other side is that we don't really understand how important those networking skills are. We don't understand the value of the true value of our relationships or how you can monetize those relationships. Um, there is a lot of value and worth that you get. Um, from speaking from the, the music side of like when you do all those world tours and you speak to like, you know, people like you all around the globe. So you speak to the biggest people on television, on radio and so forth, and you develop a rapport over the years, <clears throat> obviously from like the constant touring and being in their territories, being able to take those relationships, uh, depending on who you are, a certain skill set. And even um, the uniqueness of your energy and personality and be able to make that into a very valuable skill set and something that you can present and offer. Like learning all of that was, was uh, an often anxiety-filled um, exercise, but I think once I, I finally got the hang of it and un understood, it was a very, very, very worthwhile, um, valuable experience. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I started off on the executive side um, from the suggestion of, of um, Randy Lennox many years ago. To be honest, we were just taking part in like a, a charitable event, raising money for kids with cancer out in Muskoka. And what started as a very casual conversation, you know, he's like, you know, I really value your input because he had asked me a, a few questions that, you know, he's like, I'd love to hear your opinion on a few things. And he is like, by the end of the weekend, I, I still remember, shout out to Jimmy Williams. <clears throat> we were at Jimmy Williams. Um, I, don't, I, I don't even like to call these things cottages up there because it's like a lot of these people's cottages are bigger than my house. <laughs> But we were standing outside of his bathroom 
for like two hours. You know what I mean? Just talking about the business and I don't know, just going back and forth and exchanging incredible ideas and what have you. And I remember he left and, you know, took his boat back to his his spot. And before I was able to leave, because it was like the Sunday, so, you know, shout out to everybody that does the uh, Highway 400 traffic going south back to Toronto. But before we could even leave, I remember he was like, listen, I would love to talk to you about, you know, possibly working together within the space of um, of the label system. And initially I was like, because, you know, it always felt like the enemy, you know, and that's, I think as creatives, that's what we were socialized like to to think that the entire business side of it is is the enemy um i think over the years at least when it pertains to me i've tried to um i think educate the people that that i interact with all the different artists and let them understand that listen there is a value that you have but there also is uh, important value that the label system offers. And anytime you have, I think, a situation where where commerce and creativity meet, there's always going to be a, this weird gray area, you know what I'm saying, where it's just, it is what it is. You'll never be able to see eye to eye because we feel that there's not an adequate price that you can put to what it is that we deliver, but at the same time, obviously, because of the business of music, there definitely is a price tag to everything. I think what it is is <clears throat> for artists to really understand what they will get from being able to leverage the relationship with a label. Because especially in 2023, um, and even in prior years, there is a real movement back to kind of an independent mindset. But I think with any good business, not just within the music industry, I think it's really understanding the infrastructure of business and how it works and then figuring out how you can leverage one to make the other better. And that goes for both people. And I always say to people, understand that you have to be able to be to be used and exploited because if you're not, you know, if they can't use you, then you're useless. So <clears throat> it's really always understanding about what it is that that they, meaning the corporations want, and then understanding also what you can get from them. You know what I mean? And I will say one thing that that uh, Jeffrey Remedios used to say um, during my, my tenure at, at UMC is that you got to be within a relationship where nobody wins and everybody wins at the same time so that it doesn't feel like at the end of the day when the deal is done where you're like, this guy's got a foot up on me. You know what I mean? Either way, I think what's dope is within that relationship as long as both have an understanding and they feel like they have a uh, a fair and equitable deal then it, it should be good sounds similar to the dynamics at play in sports mm-hmm. between the athlete and the organization or the league there's a blueprint in music mm-hmm. whether it's yourself in canada someone like diddy and jay-z in the united states do you see the same sort of transition for athletes in sports the way we've seen it in music? So I'm going to be real. It's not necessarily something that people say out loud a lot, but there's a lot more structure within the, on the sports side than there is on like the music side. Um, I think for us, it's really about like whatever your lawyer can negotiate. 
and that's that's what it is meaning that there could be me and you could have the same skill set bring the same things to the table but if you have a trash lawyer i could negotiate a million and a half where you might be lucky enough to get 150,000 and somebody might look at that and say that makes zero sense but unfortunately that is just how the music industry is whereas at least when i talk to my my friends that are in sports you can kind of use uh somebody else's path and say hey well they kind of you know had you know they scored this much per game for this amount of time this is what they received you can kind of look at that and say well this is something that i would like to get or more you know what i'm saying based on you know that person's trajectory maybe that's what I should be getting. In music, that's not really how it works. And, you know, there's a lot that's at play. You know what I'm saying? It's the label that you're working with. Uh, it's timing. It's representation. Um, there's a lot of different things that are, you know, that are at play. And it's interesting because, you know, I think with some of the entertainers, there is um, massive upside for if you are able to um, do well within a certain time frame or in a certain way, it's like, you know, you can cash out in so many different, you know, ways in terms of like brand partnerships and all the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? One of the things that I learned from Diddy, um, at a younger age is that music is the vehicle for us. Music is just the vehicle. So you have an album out and of course, yes, like for us, we put our heart and soul into it, but that is just that's just the jump off point, you know what I'm saying? To where it's like, um, yes, for sure, it's gotten a lot better for athletes. And of course, you guys see a lot more guaranteed money. But, you know, if you are the right type of artist with the right type of personality and all the other things, it's like, um, you know, for us, it's it's less about what's guaranteed within that piece of paper and more about how, you, again, how you can leverage it um, to have it benefit you and, and see what you can monetize. The funny thing is, in terms of brand partnerships, the leagues and teams are starting to do partnerships with hip-hop culture, mm. with hip-hop artists. Formalized anyway. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. Um, with fashion labels and brands. Uh, it's a unique revenue stream mm -hmm. for the leagues to tap into the success that is hip-hop. Mm -hmm. When you see that unfolding, you think what? Me personally? Yeah. I think it's incredible. Um, the funny thing is we've always... I don't, let me not be vague. So let me think about it from the times of like, you know, Vince Sanity and when Vince Carter was like, you know what I'm saying? He was uh, the biggest representation that we had in sports from Toronto. And what's incredible is it's like there were so many parallels at that time, but we always understood the interdependent relationship between music and sports and vice versa. Because it's like, all the joke is they used to say um, they probably still do that all athletes want to be musicians and all musicians want to be athletes and it's and it's super true you know what I mean like we see it every year when you think about the NBA All Star Game those celebrity games or whatever like we um, I don't think that hip hop culture could exist without the integration of sports you know what I'm saying because I think. Um, for many people growing up in the neighborhoods and coming from the communities that we came from, it's like there was there was always some element um, of music when it came to sports. You know what I'm saying? Like when you think about it, 
all those, uh, if you go to like games at the Rucker or whatever, whether it was performances or just music playing in the background, um, or even just being in the locker room, you know what I'm saying? Like music is an integral part of sports because it gets people, you know, in the right frame of mind. If you think about LeBron, the funny thing about LeBron, LeBron is a music influencer at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy because people post, oh, LeBron's checking for, you know what I mean? This artist or that artist. And it's legit, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like he is so much into music. Think about, like, um, I'm not sure if his title was like executive producer but like the relationship he had with two chains you know what i'm saying and like really offering um i guess his his um i don't know his expertise or at least his taste level you know what i'm saying like i think it's really dope and i think what we're seeing right now a lot within those boardrooms are the the creative minds getting together and tapping into something that we've always done organically it's always been a part of the culture but what i love is that these guys, you're getting a lot more uh, business savvy people from both sides. You know what I'm saying? So you have, um, you know, those people that have kind of understood the science of it and the magic of it, and they're marrying the two. One thing that I always say that I that I love, um, you know, shout out to my good friend Ray Daniels, is it's like when it comes to the business, there's the the scientists and the magician, and the good thing about me is I'm somebody that understands the science and the magic. But it's like, imagine me as a mu- as a musician going into a board meeting with a lab coat on, but also with the magician hat on. So there's people that are on the other side that are like, all right, cool. Two plus two is four. So if we do this, carry, and they're looking for those scientific equations that will help them get the results. The thing about the magicians is all of that doesn't matter when you can just pull it out of a hat and you're like, here it is. People look at you like you're crazy, like, how did you come up with this? But to the magician, we're like, how could you not do this? So I think that's where you're seeing, it's a, it's a you know, it's, I guess, um, a funny analogy, but that is the real deal a lot of the times is that maybe there's, creatives don't really understand the power of the magic that they have because it's something that they were, born with we walk around thinking that everybody can pull a rabbit out of a hat but it's the smart ones the business savvy ones that understand ah you guys actually have no idea how to do this cool i will let you into your world teach me a little bit of the science and i think that's kind of what my career has been over the last almost 10 years at this point in time is really like really understanding the science but then just sprinkling it with a whole a whole lot of magic i think that's where the the true marriage is and when you look at all the people that have been able to be successful from it and you kind of peel away the layers that would be like a perfect description of of what's happened that's why you have the deities that are that are able to be so successful because they understand the you know the glossiness of the magic you know what i mean they they understand what it is like from the artist side of it, but then they they also have a very deep understanding of how the business works. And just, you know, being completely honest, it sucks in terms of like having to spend a whole lot of time with the science, but I think from you understand the fundamentals, blend the worlds, that's that's where you have, you know what I'm saying? Like those those real legendary folks, that's that's what it is. Well, from the outside looking in when you look at the hip-hop game, I feel like there was a period of time where artists were making music for the clubs. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like 
there was a transition where artists started making music for the stadium. Mm. Artists started making music for the tease coming to and from break mm. in a sports broadcast. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Drake does a deal mm -hmm. you know, with ESPN uh, Sunday Night uh, Countdown. Is that a part of the science? Or artists cognizant of, man, people are going to be shazamming this if they're in the arena, in the stadium. This is going to play better in a basketball arena or a football stadium. Is that part of the science as well? Um, very good question. And it, I really think it depends on the type of artist that you are, if I'm being honest. There are some pure artists that are like, none of that can penetrate the creative bubble that they're in. And I admire those type of artists because those we, those are becoming fewer and fewer as time goes on. Because the thing is, it's like <clears throat> with, um, with social media and the internet and everything being such an integral part of how the business operates, we are now hyper aware of everything that's happening. So, you know, I feel great from having experienced a time before, you know, Twitter and IG and TikTok, before all those things were super prevalent, because at that time, we were able to just go out and create and just exist. You have your team, you have your people that you bounce the music off and whatever. And at the end of the day, you're like, all right, cool. Here's what we present to the label. Then the label from there is like, ah, all right, cool. Song number three would be perfect for Sportsnet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, song number two would be dope for a Hostess Chips commercial. Like, you know what I'm saying? But that was after. There was kind of like this, I don't know, extraction period. You know what I mean? To where they're like, okay, what can we do with what was presented? Whereas now, sometimes, to be honest, they're like, and when I say they, they could be anybody, but sometimes it might come down from, depending on your team, from management. Or if you do have a person in charge of brand partnerships to where they're like, hey, there's an opportunity for you to get, I'm making up the numbers, but $100,000 if you insert these couple of words into your song. Or if you keep in mind that there is this opp opportunity to partner with such and such a label um, or such and such a corporation rather, think about how we might be able to maybe tweak this song so that it can be used for whatever it is that you, you know, whatever it is you're trying to express. But at the same time, you know, there might be another lucrative opportunity if you're able to, you know what I mean? Like, um, be malleable in terms of, um, your process. So it really does depend on the type of artist that you are and the type of team that you have. Um, you know, Drake's a great example because I think He's only going to do what he wants to do. You know what I'm saying? Things that he feels strongly about. But at the same time, um, you know, we've all we've all seen the way that these guys have been able to have these incredible re um, relationships with a variety of people. You know what I mean? Whether it be a Nike or a TV or, you know, now they're, they're getting into producing movies and things of that nature. Like, I think there are those artists that are like him and there's so many artists around the world that look to him and the example that, you know, that he put down and they're like, that's incredible. But then you might have the artists, you know, rest in peace, like Prince, to where it's like all art or nothing. Like that is the be all and end all is the, the, the purest, um, you know, most straight ahead streamlined, just it's all about the creative process and what is authentic to you. And we don't get a whole lot of artists like that anymore. And it's, to, it's no fault of their own. Because I just think that 
we are being socialized right now. And I said this recently, we are seeing the most business savvy artists probably ever. Because if we think about our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, and all of the artists that they that they grew up on, there's not a whole lot of them that were able to be wealthy. You know what I mean? And we look back at these people and all the things that they were able to achieve, but then it's like, it literally is sad when you think about the deals that they had to sign and the lack of education that there, that there was and, you know, them not understanding royalty structures or, you know, even if you look at Snoop just recently, he was talking about he had never received a penny from some of his most classic work. You know what I mean? And to me, that's incredibly sad and disheartening. But what I do love is that um, there is uh, it's kind of cool, you know, what I mean, to to be educated about your business and to know what it is that you're getting into. And I think, you know, that's amazing for the younger generation because they're going to not have to do as many things as we did. Like we literally had to be in the driver's seat and go over all those bumps and change the spare tires, if you will. And, you know, what I'm saying to figure out the proper path. A lot of those guys are like, oh, OK, cool. I see what they did. I see. Oh, I understand how it works now. And for a lot of them, there's just a clearer path uh, to being able to see whatever their version of success is, whether that be creative success or, uh, you know, if they're, you know, looking at some type of monetary goal or whatever it is. I just think that um, things are just a lot more clear and there there is greater access to, to education. So I don't want to aid you, but my high school basketball team came out to old-time killing. Ah, sick. Uh, but now, mm-hmm. uh, a much more important basketball team, the Raptors, mm-hmm. when they win, it's your anthem. Word. How did that come about and how... How does that make you feel? I mean, listen, I think it's dope. I mean, one of the greatest um, compliments that geeked me out was, like, the first time I met J. Cole. And he was like, yo, old time killing was my, yo, that was my joint during college. And I was like, word? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, um, I think when we make, you know, when we make the songs, a lot of times we have no idea how it's going to impact people, impact cities, impact culture. You know, we're just trying to pull out something that we have that people are drawn to, you know, and that's forever changing and evolving. Um, When it comes to that song that I made called The Anthem, you know, myself and my cousin, we were in Jamaica at the time and we're sitting poolside and that's when we co-produced the music together. And I was like, yo, this sounds so anthemic. I can't tell you what the beat was actually called because it's very derogatory and we are in the time of being canceled. So I do not want to get, can- <laughs> get canceled, but um, it had a crazy name at first. Um, but when I heard the music, I was like, yo, like this needs to be another one of those songs that celebrates where we come from. And <clears throat> pardon me. We went out and guerrilla style. We shot the video Um I wanted it to resonate, but I didn't think it would have the legs and the staying power um, that it did. Because I think we made that in like 2010, to be honest. And what's incredible, you know, shout out to the Toronto Raptors organization and the MLSC. It's like, you know, um, this year when they approached us, they're like, listen, the fans love it. The culture loves it. You know, we would love it if you could um, kind of tailor make it you know what i'm saying so that it, it it rocks with the team of this year and so forth 
And yeah, for me, like, listen, it's a lot of fun. It's super cool, like, when you see those little kids that are maybe going to their first game um, and they hear the song and, you know, maybe they'll, you know, they'll see my name up on the, you know, up on the, um, um, help me out here, not the big screen, but, you know, um, the, the Jumbotron. Um, I think it's I think it's very cool because I think at the end of the day, it's kind of like when we were younger and we remember the uh, like the let's play ball that okay okay Blue Jay. It's the same way that there's kids growing up and it's so funny to hear them just say like that's you know what I mean like it's a it's a part of um, the city sports DNA to to some degree and you know there was one year to be honest like when the um, uh, the Toronto FC when they first came about like for their first year it was their official anthem for that year um, you know you hear it at the Jays games and of course now you know what I'm saying like um, there is a formal relationship um, for this year for the Raptors like I think it's incredible bro and I definitely look at it as uh, a real privilege and a blessing you know what I mean because it's like when I go and I sit down I, I, I sit down and I'm and I'm there and I'm in the midst of just all the fanfare. And then when you hear your voice and, you know, you see people. And the funny thing is that there are, there are some people, which is equally as dope, there are some people that don't automatically, like, link the two. Like, that guy that's sitting there, like, this is actually him. So it's actually cool to, like, sit there and you kind of look around and you see the way that people are interacting. Like, it's fire. And... To be a musician is one thing, and to get your music out there is one thing, but to be able to be a part of the, the fabric of the city and the country where you come from, it's, it's a whole other thing, man. And I've always worn it with pride, and it's always um, just been awesome to be that person that, that waves that flag. Because for many, many, many moons, I was never embarrassed. But a lot of the interviews that I would do, it was always a mockery. Like, literally, people used to mock us all the time. So what I love is this full 180 now to where it's like, you know how it is like when you go to America. Americans are very, you know. Extra. You know, you know. Um, they're extra. They're arrogant. They're stuck in their ways. But what I love is the same logo that they used to make fun of us for. Like, oh, look at this Barney dinosaur logo that you have. It's the same ones that they're rocking now. You know what I'm saying? People are looking at the throwback Raptors logos and some of the most thuggy, thug, thug, riferous guys are wearing that same Barney logo. And I'm just like, quietly, you know what I mean? Just nodding my head like, don't worry. You think I don't see you, but I see you. And I hope my whole country sees you too. So I think it's it's very, very dope because I was saying to somebody um, just uh, just the other day, um, there was this footage of, of me and Bounty Killer from 2001, and I had never seen this footage. Literally because it's, it's 2001, so somebody's video camera shot the footage, you know what I'm saying? And I had never seen that footage before, and I remember I posted it, and... L- People from all over the world were hitting me. They're like, yo, this is crazy, blah, 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 blah. But I say all that to say, um, you know, a friend of friend of both of ours, Tyrone Edwards, he hit me up. And he's like, man, he's like, I remember when I was younger, 
and somebody was like, yo, Cardi's getting mad love in the UK. Like I saw this footage from a show that he had and it's like they show more love over there than at home. And I had to remind Tyrone, I'm like, bro, we had to teach people how to be proud to be from Toronto and to be Canadian. Like now, you know, whatever. It's You think that we could just like wear a Degrassi jacket and like this was a thing that, you know what I mean? Like that's cool. We had to learn to embrace who we are and what it is that we offered. We didn't always show love the way that we do now. And I think also that is also legacy work when you think about it. You know what I'm saying? When I look back, I think that is super dope to be able to have been one of the people that was like, nah, like I'm going to wear this proud. You know what I mean? I'm going to walk around and, and wave the, not literally, but wave the Canadian flag, you know what I'm saying, and, and show people how dope we are. Like, I think it's it's an incredible part of my legacy that I'm super proud of. It's funny you say that. The first thing I ever did uh, for this network was after Tim Lewicki's first press conference. Mm -hmm. And it sounds crazy now, but the questions he was being asked was, are you going to change the name of the team? Are you going <laughs> to change the colors? People don't associate with the Raptors. And my answer was, just send a box of gear to Cardi and Drake and people will be fine with the colors, right? And win. And, you know, they've won. And, and obviously you guys have had a big part. In terms of the fit and fashion aspect of the NBA, mm -hmm. where people are watching for the brands you're wearing more so than even the stats that you're putting up, mm. it, how have you perceived that transition uh, in, in sports? Well, are we talking from like the athlete's perspective or the from what from what way? Because to be honest, there are some athletes that have done terrible injustices to brands like there is like if we think about football, worst dressed people ever on the planet. Terrible, like dressed like Steve Harvey, like just awful. But then if you think about, like, NBA players, it's very interesting because fashion became political statements almost at times. When you think about, like, the Fab Five or when you think about Allen Iverson and you think about, like, even how, you know, remember when they, like, they initiated the whole dress code thing? And it's like, to me... I always thought that was crazy. Like, I'm like, how are you going to regulate somebody in terms of, like, these these athletes? You're going to regulate, the, you know what I mean? Like, what they wear to the stadium? Like, that's wild. Or if you, you know, if you have an injury and you're sitting on the bench, you can only wear a certain type of thing. Like, I, I always thought that was crazy. So there's a very interesting relationship between fashion, how people are perceived. Even I've had lengthy conversations with, with PK because the way that PK expressed himself, it was a form of rebellion because hockey has always been so super conservative. Hey, don't be loud. Just blend in. You're not better than somebody else. Who do you think you are? And I remember, like, I, I you know, I love PK dearly. He's a, he's a super dope dude, you know what I'm saying? And I just remember him saying, no, nah, Cardi, like, I'm going to wear this. I am going to make sure that they see me. And this is not him being like, super arrogant conceited egocentric this is him saying that listen and i and i i also feel the same thing i think that we should embrace the differences i think that's what actually makes everybody incredible when people are like 
uh, you know, we're all the same. I don't see color, or all, all that lame stuff. I'm like, what kind of a trash world would we be in if, you know, like if you didn't see how awesome you are because you have an Irish background and let me learn about the things about your background or if you're Greek or if you're African or whatever it is, I think that's where all the dopeness comes in. You know what I'm saying? Is when we can be proud of whoever we are, embrace those things. That's when you get to learn to respect everybody's different lineage and heritage and background and culture. And I think, you know, no matter how they look at PK, I love it. I remember when I went to my first, um, you know, Canadians game in Montreal and, you know, I saw him and he had on like a, a burgundy fur jacket and, you know, burgundy suit and, you know, a crazy hat or whatever. And I think I loved it because, you know, when it comes to, I don't want to paint us with a, you know, with all the same brush, but it's like within our culture, we love to be flamboyant. You know what I'm saying? Like we love to, to rock the ill clothes because um, a lot of it is also, it's also codes, you know what I'm saying, that we speak to each other with without having to say anything. You know what I mean? And I think people don't necessarily understand that. But it's like where we come from, it is being able to say to a group of people that I, I have arrived, I'm doing well. You understand what I'm saying? Some people look at it as this whole arrogant thing, like, ah, oh, why is this guy wearing this, this bright yellow jacket? You know what I'm saying? To where some people understand it to say, yo, that guy is super confident. You know what I'm saying? That guy knows who he is and he's not going to change for anybody. And I think especially when you think about, man, just the dynamics and how complex it is coming from Canada, a place that is traditionally conservative. Again, I think it's it's having a conversation without having the conversation. Is It's like, I think it's making it okay for a lot of people to break the mold and for us to understand that even as a country, we are evolving, we are elevating, and we are changing. And I think that it's important for somebody like a PK who is all those things. He is flashy, he is outspoken, but he is super intelligent. And I think that is something that is very important for a lot of people to understand. Like, going on tour across this country, like, people that live, like, if you live in a metropolis, whether it's Montreal, Calgary, Vancouver, or whatever, that's one thing, but... A lot of these small towns in between where these people are not exposed to as many people as like, you know, they're not going to see PKs or Cardinals or Donovans walking around. The only thing they have, the only representation they have is seeing somebody, you know, on TV for music or sports or whatever. So the other interesting thing is that we got to use those opportunities to be able to tell our stories because they're not going to. So we have to be able to tell those stories ourselves. And sometimes, yeah, it is literally telling the stories, but sometimes it's for people to be exposed to us and say, wow, you know what I'm saying? Those guys in Toronto, they came up differently. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it is the clothes that are going to bring you in and say, you know what? Look at this guy. He's not dressed like Buddy over here that, you know what I'm saying, is just wearing an old Molson hat and, you know what I mean, a random white tee. Like, let me find out a little bit more about that. And I think... We've always used fashion um, as a part of our, our storytelling. Well, it's funny. When you look at us in sports, whether it's PK in hockey, Shea Gilgis Alexander in basketball, mm-hmm. Canadians, uh, you know, West Indian Canadians, mm-hmm. uh, showing off you know, who they are with their fashion, something that you do as mm-hmm. well. Uh, you get that representation and get into a lot of homes that may not see you via being a judge on mm-hmm. Canada's 
got talent. Having that space for you to speak about what you know being a talent, uh, what is that opportunity and that responsibility like? Mm, it's a... So, um, I was going to give you an, a specific answer, but then I was like, you know what, let me reel it back a little bit. Initially, even me being a part of the show was very, uh, very me-focused to where I was like, you know what, this is a new challenge. This is a dope opportunity. I was looking at it. I wasn't looking at what it meant to everybody else. I was just like, is this something that I can even do, that I can deliver on? But I think that's why I loved it is because I got those the same kind of um, butterflies that you get like when you're a new artist type of a thing, you know what I mean? And you're doing your first big show or your first big collaboration or what have you. That's the same way I felt going into CGT. Once you get the gig and you're in the gig, but then you also understand or you get a better idea of the amount of households that you're entering into, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't remember what the exact numbers are, but like, so something like 1.3 million viewers a week, that's that's something totally different. You know what I'm saying? Like at first, yeah, it's all about me and how do I fit into this show and how does this fit into my legacy and what it is that I'm doing. But then, you know, put it this way. I remember going to, uh, my cousin was getting married and they had a, what is it called? Like a Jack and Jill? Mm-hmm. Went to a Jack and Jill <clears throat> and I was there I got cornered and I got cornered by all these like it was so funny because the the age ranges were like from teenagers to like auntie's age so like you know in their 60s and so forth and like yo who's gonna win in the finals and I'm like I don't know it's live like I, I can't tell you like but so many people are invested in this show like I remember I was at you know I was at my local Fortinos and I went in and there was this long line and I remember this woman was like and she like let me cut the line at the supermarket. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And of course, me thinking, oh, you know, it's Cardinal the musician. She was like, all right, talk to me about CGT. And I was like, get out of here. Like, the one, the 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 real fundamental difference I think between music and television is that the algorithms will tell you who your fan base is for music. So I'm like, okay, cool. I understand between the ages of, you know, primarily the majority for me is between. 18 and 39 or whatever. I'm like, okay, I get it. I have no idea who's watching. And I think it's because, and that's part of the, the success of the show is that we have everybody from the ages of four to 84 that watch. But when you think about it like that, and then think about these monocultural moments that we rarely have anymore, like growing up for us, everything was this moment where Michael Jackson was going to premiere uh, you know, the thriller video, 7 p.m. Tuesday, everybody in the hood's watching all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? We were all literally in front of our televisions watching this thing at the same time. And if it wasn't us calling each other after that, it was the next day in school. We we're all talking about it. Because everything is on demand these days and things are so fragmented, we don't have a lot of those opportunities. But with something like a CGT, it's super cool because what's happening is you're having a lot of families that are getting together. So you can have the kids, the parents, and the grandparents all watching together and having not there's not just the opportunity to, you know, to laugh at myself 
Howie, you know, Trish and Lily and, and, you know, just all the antics and obviously all of the talent, but it's like you're, you're also being able to have this incredible experience together with your family. And I think for me, obviously being the father of three kids and being a husband, um, I didn't really realize how dope it was until it was my kids, me and my wife and my mother watching every Tuesday. And it's something that I don't know if we had ever done that. And it was just so dope. And I think I understood in that moment what it meant to other families. You know what I'm saying? Like when I saw how it resonated within my household. And shout out to my daughter who is the absolute toughest critic on the whole planet. <laughs> so another thing that you and the other judges and your daughter will be able to critique is we're going to have more athletic feats mm. uh, this season. Yeah. So what's that aspect of the show going to be like what's the dynamic that's going to bring you know the one thing about this show that i will tell you and i'm not just saying you're like okay cardi you never know and what i love about what it is that we do even as judges we're not prepped before any of this stuff so we literally don't know what to expect so this season like we like we saw we saw some things to where it's like all right when you do these type of shows I don't know about you, like as a as a viewer, but like for us, you do season one, it's ex- it goes extremely well. My thought is, I'm like, well, what the hell are we gonna do for season two? Because it's like you think that you've seen everything, and then you see some of the wildest stuff. So I will say, like, we have seen some some feats of strength, um, some real athletic acrobatic type stuff, and. Things that have come from, like, you know, people that have come from the continent that now live in Canada or people that have come from different parts of Asia that now live in Canada. Like, that's what's so dope about this show is it's, like, it's not just one of those ones where you're like, okay, cool, there's going to be a dope singer. There's going to be some Cirque du Soleil type of thing. Like, there are people that really have a unique skill set. Some to where I'm like, did you, like, wake up one morning and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lift up this couch, put it on my nose. You know what I mean? While sprinting. That, like, you see some just a, the most quirky, wild things. But that's part of, to be honest, even the um the process for me to become a judge. There was like a, might have been a screening process of like, I don't know, maybe two or three or maybe even four interviews that I had to do. Like, it wasn't just they're like, oh, we love Cardi's energy. Let's give him the job. Um. But that's that's part of what I love because I would watch America's Got Talent. I would watch all those shows with my family. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, of course, being a musician, you want to see a dope, you know, a dope singer or whatever. But a lot of what was engaging for us were those off the wall things that you have never seen of or heard of or would ever even think because obviously people like me and you are sane. There's a lot of insane people that come through CGT. <laughs> a lot of wild people that come through, but that's what makes the the Canada's Got Talent gold. You know what I'm saying? It is those people with um, the more linear talents, but then there are those people that are ju- they just have that wacky, zany, like, I never would have thought of that in a million years, nor would I think that I had an affinity for it, but that is something that's super dope. And that's when you get the, you know, the votes or even the golden buzzers in some cases. And I think this season for sure, you're gonna see a lot of that. So we obviously know that you, you can perform, uh, produce, you can act, 
But if you're going to judge the athletic feats, we have to know what your athletic credentials are. Zero. Z- zero? <laughs> like what? You, you had no ball game back in the day? Like we're, I played ball in grade nine, and because of my because of my wingspan, like my defense was impeccable. I was ignorant, though, because I used to count it out loud, and it used to piss them off, but it would throw their game off. So it was like nobody could score over me. So it's like I'm literally swatting it into the stands. And I'd be like, one, two, and like literally like I'd get up to like 18, and like they'd be furious, but people couldn't score on me. I've never been, it was just one season, but never been dunked on. Mans couldn't get by me, you know what I'm saying? So that's the on, that's my only claim to fame. Listen, I know all the mans that are at home right now, they're like, bro, relax. But I'm telling you, like that's the only, that's the only, um, the only thing that I did was, when I was in Flemo when I was a kid, during the summertime, there was like some kind of rec league. So, you know what I mean? We'd go from neighborhood to neighborhood. We played all over the city when, you know, when I was young, young. But yeah, after grade nine, I was like, nah, yo, it's music all the way. And to be honest, never said this before, I'm bougie. And dressing rooms, when you play sports, it's disgusting. It smells filthy. It's absolutely not my thing. So it's like, first of all, I'm somebody that, you know what I mean? Like, shout out to my wife, gorgeous. But even sometimes, like, I don't even necessarily want her in the room. You know what I'm saying? Much less me in a room with a bunch of sweaty, disgusting dudes. Like, it's not my thing. So music, we are allowed to be a little bit more like, there's a lot of elitist behavior. When it comes to music, it's more my speed. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. That's why you became a musician because you have your own dressing room. You have a rider where everything is Family. exactly the way you want it. These are, you know, what I mean, these are the things. Like, imagine there's some athletes that, you know, what I mean, and, and shout out to everybody that didn't make it to the league. You know, what I mean, but there are some people that sacrifice. They're like, oh, this is disgusting, but one day it's gonna pay off. Imagine you don't get into the league and you're like, I did all that for nothing. Now they're just traumatized. They have to walk around thinking this is normal behavior. I'm going to look into both cameras. It's not. It is not. It's filthy behavior. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love it because, listen, I'm, I'm going to watch ball all day when I, have, when I have the opportunity. But it's disgusting. So for me, you know what I'm saying? It's music all the way. Like, you know, of course, as old men, we do the whole Al Bundy thing of we run ball and we're like, oh, back in my day, all that trash. But that's... It's as far as it goes for me, bro. I feel like you have a Febreze brand partnership coming up <laughs> after this. <laughs> Lastly, so we do this to athletes all the time. It's the barbershop conversation where we say top five, dead or alive. Mm. So I'll ask you the basketball version of that. Mm. Give me your top five Raptors of all time. Oh, top five Raptors? Yeah. I mean, you can just oh. go top five NBA if you prefer. But since you have the anthem with the Raptors, I feel like it's more on point if you give us the top five Raptors. Oh. You see, that one, that's tough, though. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull it off. This is good, bro. I've never been asked that before in all these years. Um, Top five, no order, though. No order. Um... Man like Mighty Mouse. Famous for sure. Man like Tracy McGrady. 
Um, of course, Vince. Man like Chris Bosch. Man like Chris Bosch. It was very interesting <clears throat> knowing him when he first got to the team and even just seeing like how he went from one season to where he was this super skinny dude or whatever to like seeing him train and put on the weight and do the work and you know what I'm saying like just the the improvements that he made and and his dedication like shout out to Chris Bosh um and I think most of those people were like also super supporters of of Toronto <clears throat> um the obvious five would be to say like either like uh DeRozan or or Kyle Lowry but um I think just to put uh one of the new school people in there shout out to man like um the culture says he's he's my long lost son but shout out to man like Scotty Barnes you know what I'm saying like you know his his first year you know, just the way, the way that he was thugging it out, you know what I'm saying, and like going, you know what I mean, like just really killing it, and on top of that, just being somebody who's super cool off the court as well, um, yeah, you know, send a shout out to man like Scotty B. There you have it, Cardi's right. top five Raptors, this is why you are the judge, because you are able to break it down when <laughs> under pressure. Thank you, my brother. No, I appreciate it, yo. Shout out to Cardi. You can follow him on IG or on Twitter at Cardinal O is the handle. In terms of the show that you can find him on, that would be Canada's Got Talent, CGT for short, Tuesdays, 8 p.m. on City TV, CityTV.com, and City TV Plus. Last season was a huge success, as you heard Cardi say. More than 1.3 million viewers. And they're going back for even more in season two. We've got not just singers and dancers and magicians, but extreme sports athletes with some death-defying acts. And they're going to be on road as well. They're going to have the opportunity to perform in America's Got Talent Presents, Superstars Live at the Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. So just so you know, get the PVR ready and set. Season two with not only Cardi, but Howie Mandel, and Lily Singh, and Trish Stratus, and 462 contestants, 253 crew members, 110 acts auditioning, nine provinces, one territory, 12 countries, nine episodes, six golden buzzers, but only one champion, and it's right here at Rogers Sports and Media. Someone who I think, if he had the time to be in the competition, would win it, was Phil Wizard. The man is so talented as his own type of artistry, and that is breakdancing, one of the core tenets of hip-hop. And so after the break, we talk to Phil Wizard, Canada's best breakdancer, about his journey and what's next. That's what's next. I'm going to name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you're listening to Go and Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you.
Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad. This is going deep, and we talked about it earlier in this episode with Cardi about the consumerism that we've seen around hip-hop culture. The fact that the brand is not only mainstream, the brand is transformative. Case in point, Phil Wizard, professional b-boy here in Canada. That phrase historically has been a bit of an oxymoron, professional b-boy, but that's how far the culture has come, that you can be professional being a b-boy, especially if you are as talented as Phil Wizard is. He is the 2022 reigning world-breaking champion. He has been at Red Bull BC1, killing it for years, and he's paving the way for the Canadian breaking community to come with him. And now, it really is mainstream. Breaking is going to be in the Paris Olympics in 2024. He is trying to represent Team Canada on his way. And supporting him on that way is Lululemon, another Canadian brand rooted in the community, just like Phil is with his Vancouver roots. And so as the two Canadian brands partner together, I wanted to learn from Phil, did you ever, ever, ever imagine that you would be rocking the brand known for yoga tights, breaking and doing hip hop battles, and it would look so dope. Let's listen to and learn from Phil Wizard as we go deep on all things breaking. Phil, congrats. Good to uh, be talking to you again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we've talked in the past, we've talked about uh, B-boys being professional and leveling up in the craft and the art form, getting more support. And now we see you uh, as an ambassador and really the face of a brand that's rooted here in Canada. What's that like for you? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's amazing. Um, Like you said, it's rooted here in Canada, and that's very big for me. Um, and why it was important for me, and and why I'm so grateful they reached out to me because, like, I don't think that's often the case that I get to work with a brand that's rooted in Canada. Um, so that's huge for me. Like, it's rooted in home, you know. For sure. Having said that, you're not often home in Canada. Yeah, you're that is true. Setting, <laughs> flying over all over the place. Um, what's that aspect? of this been like, cause again, talk about it being professional. You are abroad more than professional athletes are in like the big four sports. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's like, I'm so used to it, um, especially in the last few years, but that's kind of the breaker lifestyle. That's what I envisioned my kind of life to be when I was young. I mean, when I had thought about, and honestly, I never even thought I would get to this point, but when I had thought about becoming a professional breaker or ever getting there. I knew that that is kind of the lifestyle. You would see people on YouTube, they're kind of traveling in and out every week, they're competing in and out every week. So I feel like I was kind of mentally prepared for it going into it, but it's definitely tiring. I'm not gonna lie, it's, it, it can be very taxing. Um, but again, that's why it's nice to have something rooted in home. So I have something to kind of bring with me and remind me of home, but yeah, it, it is definitely very tiring. But again, it's the kind of life that I signed up for. So um, I'm not complaining. Life is good. Again, my motto, life is good. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about life uh, in Vancouver, because, uh, you know, that's where you're based. Uh, and, you know, that's when you look at the history of the brand, that's where it's really grown. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the community like in uh, Vancouver? And you know, what are you hoping to do to continue to, to grow it now that you've got uh, this partnership? Yeah, for me, I mean, Vancouver's home for me. You know, I kind of grew up here. I was born 
Um, I was born in Toronto, but I was raised in Vancouver. Um, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life. And I've obviously fallen in love with the city. And it's something that I always try to come back home, at least for a little bit, even between travels, especially between travels, because I love having that time at home. Um, I love the community here, um, the broader community in general, but especially the breaking community uh, and the people here. Um, and that's why, again, that I always try to come home uh, in between trips. My goal right now is just to kind of put uh, my city on a bigger map, I guess, um, especially specifically within breaking. I think there are not a lot of uh, people with in Canada that are, um, you know, pushing at a competitive level that are um, going out there and competing a lot. And because I have that opportunity, I just try my best to kind of represent, I guess, my country and um, represent Vancouver and Canada in general, uh, as well as I can. So what does it look like? Like, how do you plan to, to tangibly do that and put Van on the map? You know, honestly, I haven't really thought about it that much. It's not something that like, I guess at this point, it is now starting to, to for me to think about, okay, how, what more can I do? Um, again, for me, something like working with Lululemon is one of those things where I get to work with a Canadian brand um, and something that is kind of rooted in home. And that was why it was a big part for me again. Um, but no, I don't really have an answer to that. It's something that I think I have to actively think about more of. Right now, I've always been just about like, okay, how can I grow myself personally? And then now that I'm at the position that I'm in, it is more of a responsibility for sure for myself to think about, okay, how can I actively um, put my community, um, I guess, to help my community grow more too. But that's a question that I need to, uh, I think, still think about a lot more. Well, something you've been thinking about certainly is uh, the Paris 2024 Olympics. And you know, we've all kind of bookmarked you being there because you are the 22, 22 reigning world breaking champ and you've been this face of the sport in North America and specifically in Canada. But do you have like an understanding on what qualification is going to look like, what the team might look like, what the competition might look like? Right, now that we're in 2023 and getting mm -hmm. closer, do you know a bit more about how this all is going to go down? Yeah, totally. So the qualification system has been announced. Um, this year is kind of the main year for qualification. So we have a series of events that um, anyone who is trying to go to the Olympics uh, is now kind of going to. Um, and there's, uh, I believe, like, quite a few events throughout the year, maybe between five and 10. Um, and these are all kind of accumulating points. And how it works right now, there are 16 spots for both male and female. And there are two direct spots this year uh, for myself and for anyone else to qualify to the Olympics. That is the world champs. So the equivalent event that I won last year in Korea, they'll have the same thing in September in Belgium this year. And then the second way is the continental qualifiers. So for myself, that would be the Americas, which is the Pan Am Games, uh, which I'm really excited to go. Um, so those are the two direct spots uh, to qualify this year. And that is kind of the goal is to win one of those so that it's like less stressful. You just, you get it over with and then you're like, okay, I know I'm going to the Olympics. Um, after that, basically there's a series of uh, events throughout this year where we accumulate points. Based on those points, based on your rankings, you then have the opportunity for anyone else who did not win those qualifications this year to go into what they call the OQS, which takes place a couple months before the actual Paris Olympic Games. And um, you basically need to rank pretty high to get into the OQS. 
OQS. And from the OQS, they then uh, fill up the remaining spots based on rankings on those, I believe, three or four events that they have. And it's like the top 10 or something from those, both male and female, then go to the Olympics. So they have like six spots that are determined this year. Um, and then the remaining 10, uh, the, a couple months before the Olympics next year. So it's still definitely a little bit stressful. Um, I, my goal is to win this year. So again, there's less stress, but uh, if not the OQS, it is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're on mute. Yeah, thanks. You talk about the Pan Am Games. And naturally, when you're at a big competition like um, Red Bull BC1 or the Undisputed Masters, people know where you're from. Uh, you know, it's flashed up on the screen, kind of the country you're from you're introduced and people say Canada. But will the Pan Am Games be the first time that, like, formally you're representing Canada? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like at World Champs and those kind of events, yes, I'm representing Canada, but I guess Pan Am would be one of the first times where we're representing it on kind of a more bigger scale alongside other sports and other competitions as well, right? Um, so yeah, I think that's why I'm excited for it. And like, honestly, I didn't really grow up watching the Olympics or watching Pan Am games or stuff like that. Honestly, I wasn't that into like, I loved playing sports. I loved breaking and I was a super active person. I just never really kept up with that kind of stuff. Um, but I obviously know what the Olympics are and what Pan Am games are. So like the fact that I'm going or that I have the opportunity to go and represent Canada is kind of a, a crazy moment for me uh, when I take a step back, because again, it's never like where I imagined my life going. So yeah. I think it probably is the first formal time um, and I'm super excited for it. Well, I've seen you at competitions and you get more hype and more excited for other people performing, specifically people <laughs> in your crew or from your country than yourself. Because of partnerships like this, many Canadians are getting to know you before the games, but put a couple other breakers on. Who are the other Canadians that you think have a chance to do something in the lead up to Paris that we should know about? Yeah, for sure. I think we have a very uh, talented scene here. Um, and we have a lot of people that are training really hard and people that I think could definitely be in that spotlight. Uh, for example, um, I think you're directly referring uh, in at BC1 last year in the Canada Cypher, my friend Ills, uh, who's a really good friend of mine, um, who I consider one of the top boys here. He is definitely someone that I think could be up there for sure. Um, and yeah, he's in my crew. So obviously I get super excited to see him do well. Um, and and yeah, I'm, I, I love being the hype man for sure. Um, in terms of the female side, I would say Emma is really good, who's uh, another B-girl uh, from here in Vancouver, who has done uh, well pretty recently over the last years and was a, a invite to the Red Bull BC1 uh, World Finals last year as well. Um, but yeah, we definitely have a good amount of talent here and I'm excited to see that kind of continue to grow. You know, the next big thing on the schedule is the Undisputed Masters event in Japan. What about that are you looking forward to? And how does that play into your ramp up and tapering up to getting ready for the Olympics? Yeah, um, my last few years have been kind of heavy in competition and that friend is continuing into this year. The Undisputed Series is something that I've partnered with with the last few years. After winning the 2019, they had taken a little Hayatsu, um, little break, and then have come back pretty recently. And so I kind of have a lot of respect for that event. And um, I always say yes to opportunities like that. Um, and that anything with a high level competition, going to something like Undisputed is a world-class event. It's a very high level competition. That is all training for me. 
Like I see every event that I go to an opportunity to, to improve myself and get better. So when I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about mentally, where am I at? How can I adjust? Am I feeling bad? Okay. If I'm feeling kind of out of it or cloudy or whatever in my head, how can I flip that switch? So every time I'm at a competition, I'm using it as an opportunity for the next event that I go to, to train myself mentally and physically. And, and you know me, you know, I need to know about the fix. You know, I need to know about the <laughs> And it might just be me in my life at this point where like, I want to look good, but also I need an elastic waistband at all times. Like it yes, has to be yeah. comfortable. And it, being at competitions, like it is a visual experience. You want to mm -hmm. feel good, certainly and compete at a high level, but you also have to look the part. Uh, what can we expect to see you rocking uh, now that you are the face of a, of a brand. Yeah, um, I'm very excited about this. I think, like you said, um, especially within breaking, fashion is such a huge integral part of what we do. It has been laced within the community since the inception of breaking. And so I'm really excited to be partnering with a brand like Lululemon and being able to represent them. I think they work really well with my style. I've always had a very uh, kind of more minimal uh, S style with a little bit of pop of color. And I think that uh, Lululemon really complements that as well. I'm kind of similar my whole life. Like I loved being stylish, but also very comfortable. You know, you're never going to find me kind of giving up comfort for fashion. And so to be able to blend those two things are very important to me. And I'm glad I'm able to do that with Lululemon. I have a lot of pieces that I really enjoy from them. Um, you'll I believe at the next one, I'm already kind of planning my fits. I have a pair of ABC pants that I really like that I might rock. Um, I'm wearing right now the Metal Vent Tech. I really like this. This is like, I think it's more of like a running kind of workout thing and I've worked out in it, but I really like it. I might rock that too. So I'm kind of planning my fits already and getting excited about that, but you can definitely um, see me looking fresh. <laughs> well, we're excited to see you looking fresh, uh, comfortable, but fashionable uh, in the near future, hopefully uh, rocking some of those fits on a podium uh, in the mm -hmm. competitions and uh, okay. big competition uh, to come. You know, thank you though for spending this time and congrats. Thank you very much. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much to Phil. Busy guy, so happy he fit us in the schedule. We're gonna continue to follow his journey. So stay tuned to this space for more content from Phil Wizard as he continues to jet set around the globe and represent both Lululemon and Red Bull as he is breaking and setting records and setting trends, quite frankly. If you want to follow him, at PhilKWizard is the handle. PhilWizard.com is the website. As for us, please listen, favorite, share, and subscribe. This has been Going Deep. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.